please, to Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. No one can rightly claim to be a scholar of the Bible without an understanding of the book of Romans, and yet, regardless of how much you study the book of Romans, there's always something more to learn. This letter is divided up into two sections, and I'll not go into a lot of detail, but the first 11 chapters has to do basically with our beliefs, what we believe. But beginning in chapter number 12, the, the focus shifts over to how we behave. And what we believe should and does affect the way we behave. It starts out in verse number 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And, of course, if we do that, everything else is going to fall into place. So that is, uh, uh, you could say, the hinge upon which everything else is going to swing. But when we get down to verse number 17, we find here Paul writing in regards to a very important yet difficult subject. Not difficult to understand, but difficult to implement into our lifestyle. Verse 17, he says, Recompense to no man evil for evil, providing things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink, for in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Will Rogers uh, made a statement that uh, many years ago, and of course Will Rogers said a lot of things that people still remember today, but uh, he said, I never met a man that I didn't like. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, he never met, I'll leave that blank, because we can probably all think of someone, you know, that uh, that's a bit difficult to like. And uh, others might say, well, old Will was a better man than I am, you know, if he could do that. Well, the truth is, whether we want to admit it or not, we don't like some people. In fact, I don't like some people that I love. Amen. I mean, I don't like them. I, I don't like certain things about them. I love them anyway. They're way out of the will of God. They're disrespectful. They're rude. They're inconsiderate. And that list goes on and on and on. I don't like that about them, but yet I love them. And... Uh, the Lord tells us we're obligated toward people such as that. He said, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That's a tall order for people short on Christian virtue, and believe me, that's a lot of people. People that, that 
that are faced with that dilemma of trying to obey the Word of God, which commands us to love our enemies, etc., and yet, and yet, we do not have it within us at that stage of our spiritual development to do it, and we never will except for the fact that we surrender ourselves to the Lord, that we're filled, that is controlled by the Spirit of God. Several years ago, I preached a series of messages entitled Dealing with Our Differences. And that's something we all need to do, deal with our differences, because we we always have differences. But we're talking tonight about something that's more difficult than that. This message has to do with dealing with difficult. I'm talking about downright, ornery people, mean-spirited people, dealing with difficult people. How do we do that? Well, the Bible gives us the answer. The Lord gives us certain commands, He gives us wise counsel, and He gives us the confidence that we need to be able to deal with difficult people. And make no mistake about it, there are a lot of difficult people in this world. A lot of difficult people. Wherever you go, you're going to find people that are difficult to get along with. And and here, keep in mind that He's writing in the context of a church. And he's talking about their interaction with one another. And uh, so when he talks about these difficult people, he's not just talking about people that are way out there without any uh, relationship or association with them. He's talking about the Lord's church. When we think about the church, and of course Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and other places likens the church to a body. And as you know, a body is made up of many different members. It's not just one member, but it's made up of many different members. And every church is made up of members who are at different levels of spiritual maturity. That makes things difficult, right? I mean, you know, even even in the sense of of, uh, of let's say the physical realm, if you're dealing with little children, two and three year old children, and you try to reason with them like you would someone that's 21 years old, automatically you know you're going to have a problem. There's going to be a difficulty there because they're not reasonable at that age. And a lot of times, especially in a church, and one of the things about it, the more people that we win to the Lord, the more people that are saved, the more babes in Christ that there are in a church, the more problems you're going to have in the church. Really. And that's good. I'm talking about good kind of problems. The kind of problems that arise as a result of someone's spiritual immaturity. It's not that they necessarily, you know, uh, just want to be mean and cantankerous, but it's the fact that they have not yet matured to the point that they're able to deal with these different issues. And so keep that in mind. When we talk about dealing with difficult people, it can be people that that you see every week worshiping the Lord. It can be members of your family. 
family. It can be, you know, it can be your relatives or your friends or your co-workers or your classmates, whoever. We need and we're obligated to learn how to deal with those people. In these verses that I've just read, there are seven things that I want to quickly point out that will enable us to deal with difficult people. The first thing here is in verse 17, where he tells us that we are to refrain from revenge. Sooner or later, offenses will come. Jesus warned us about that. Offenses will come. There's no way to avoid that. Sooner or later, someone's going to do something that will uh, will offend you, something that is unjust, something that is unfair. And, and if we're going to maintain peace in our relationships, then we must not allow ourselves to get carried away with emotions when those things arise. In other words, we have to learn to turn the other cheek rather than strike back. And for some of us, we just have a natural propensity that, you know, somebody hits us, we just strike back even before we think. And that's why we need a message like this because we need to be thinking about that beforehand because, you know, at the moment, and, and you've often heard me say that people, all people, sometimes act out of character. It, it, it just happens. They do things that they ordinarily wouldn't do, say things they ordinarily wouldn't say. Every married couple here knows exactly what I'm talking about. You know, we engage in a conversation and we say things that, you know, just out of anger for whatever reason. And sometimes people make a habit of doing that and just excuse it as, oh, well, you know, that that's me. But we need to be thinking ahead and preparing ourselves for occasions like that when we're going to be offended and, and be reminded as we are here that we are to refrain from revenge. It's not our place. Their failure is no excuse for our failure. Just because they did something wrong, in other words, you know, it doesn't give us the right to turn around and repay evil for evil. So we are obligated to refrain from revenge as difficult as that is. I'm sure I've mentioned it before that right after I got saved and uh, I, I was I was over by uh, over by SMS. Uh, that's the college there in Springfield. And there's a carload of college kids. And keep in mind, at that time I was 24 years old. And it got into one of those deals, you know, you pass me and then I'll pass you. And they'd slow down and I'd go around here, they'd come. And it went on and on, that cat and mouse game. And finally we pulled up, pulled up at a light and uh, rolled the windows down and started jawing back and forth and they started cussing and so forth they didn't know who they were talking to i you know i'm the same well i won't go into detail and explain but believe me just a few months before that i would have shot somebody or hit somebody hurt somebody bad and 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 i i sat there that day and and took it because i knew I knew if I got out of that car, I was going to do something that, that I, I would regret, 
something that was going to absolutely ruin my Christian testimony. And at that point, it was one of maybe the hardest thing that I had ever done in my life is to just sit there and take it and roll the window up and go on my way. Now, I've not always been that successful, but thank God I haven't been in any fistfights since I've been saved. So, you know, that's... uh, but that's only due to the Lord. It's certainly not because of my abilities. It's, uh, uh, you know, the, the Lord that enabled me. So I'm not, I'm not bragging on me. I'm just telling the raw, unvarnished truth is that even though I was saved, I had that angry spirit within me. And that can happen to anyone. And that's why we need to be prepared ahead of time and think about these things. And here at the beginning of a new year, it's a good time to remember that whatever happens, we are obligated to refrain from revenge. Secondly, look in the last part of verse 17. Here we see that we are to reflect upon that which is right. He says, provide things honest in the sight of all men. That word provide means to perceive before. And if you'll notice, I've just already mentioned five or six times the need for us to be thinking about these things ahead of time, to be prepared. And this means to foresee, to think beforehand, take thought. And this is what we're to take thought of. Notice provide things that are honest. And the Greek word translated honest means things that are beautiful, things that are honorable, things that are excellent, things that are suitable, things that are good, things that are, that are noble. So we're to conduct ourselves in a way that is respectful, a way that is blameless. So provide things honest, notice, in the sight of all men, even those difficult people, even those people whose ways you do not like. Now look at verse number 18. And here we see Paul telling us that we are to resolve to work for peace. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. And again, I want to emphasize, we need to think about what to do before we get in the heat of an argument because that's when we go brain dead get in the heat of an argument and we are we know all of these things i mean we've read the bible maybe that was your devotion last week and you've been reading about this and you know what you ought to do but all all of a sudden in the heat of the argument you find yourself acting out of character and doing exactly the opposite of what you know that you should. Now notice he said, as much as is possible. Because make no mistake about it, there are some people, regardless of what you do, they're not going to allow you to live peaceably with them. They're going to be so so unreasonable, so unkind, that all of your all of your efforts is going to fail to change their behavior. At least at that moment it will not change their behavior, but eventually Your Christian example is going to make a big difference in their attitude toward you. People that you might not agree with. You have your disagreements. It might be a doctrinal issue. It might be, you know, a a matter of morality. Things that, you know, you are certain that you are right and they're certain that they are right and yet you have a difference of opinions And even in those cases, we're to learn to live peaceably with 
all men. We're to be peacemakers. He tells us in chapter number 14. And again and again, the Lord taught us that we're to be peacemakers. But there's more to being a peacemaker than just resolving to be a peacemaker. We need to, we need to, number one, to develop relationship skills. Whenever we are in a situation where there's a disagreement, one of the first lessons and one of the most difficult lessons for some of us is to learn to lower our voice. We all, I've known that for years. And yet there are times that just, you know, there might be a difference of opinion. And I'm not going to be like one deacon that told me some years ago, I'll not mention any names, he's not here. But he said he and his wife have never had a disagreement, never had an argument. I, I, I won't tell you some of the things I thought about telling him, but I still don't believe him. I, I, I'm sorry, but I, I don't. There just comes times whenever the people that you love the most, there are going to be times that you have strong opinions and very different opinions from the other person. And if we're not careful, what happens? The first thing, the inflection of our voice, we, we get louder and louder and louder, especially, you know, people like me. We feel like that we've got to emphasize the fact, you know, that we are right and they're wrong. So just lowering... <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, some of you, boy, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? And then we need to set boundaries. We need to set boundaries. We, you know, there ought to be rules for arguments. I, Bev and I have never done this, but we probably should have, uh, you know, to sit down ahead of time and say, you know, look, I know in the next 30 days we're going to have a disagreement of some kind. Uh, and so before that happens... Let's let's just take a, a pencil and a piece of paper and write down some rules for engagement. What we will do or what we won't do. And you know, it's all right to have a difference of opinion. We don't think so at the moment because we think they ought to come over to our side. And so we want to argue about that. I know as a young preacher, I I, I that was one of my faults. I Bev didn't have a checkbook. She couldn't write a check. She didn't have any say in anything. She was the wife. She, she cooked the food, did the dishes, did the laundry, did everything else. I made all of the decisions. Why? Because I'm the head of the house. That's the way it's supposed to be. I'm the head of the house. For some reason or another, I just failed to, I failed to understand that verse that we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And I'm sure not perfect now, but I'm sure not the character that I once was, and I thank God for that. Now, he says here that we are to work for, work for peace, that we are to provide a resolution where it's possible. And again, I want to emphasize that. Now look at verse 19. Here he tells us a very, something extremely important. And if we miss this, we're going to fail at everything else. Verse number 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will. He's emphatic about that. I will repay, saith the Lord. So if we're going to deal with difficult people, it eventually gets down to the fact that we have to rely on God. 
People will hurt us and hurt us deeply, but yet we don't have the right to take matters into our own hands, even if God did nothing to repay them. If God, in other words, just gave them a free pass and let them get by with it, we still wouldn't have the right to take matters into our own hands. But the fact of the matter is, God said, I will repay. God does deal with the offenders, but it's always in His time and in His way. They punch us in the nose, we want to punch them in the nose, and if we don't do that, we want God to give them a bloody nose. But it might be God knows how to hurt them some other way, not just for the sake of hurting them, but for the sake of helping them. And pain is involved in the process, naturally, but God deals with them because of their offenses. You know, whenever you hurt one of God's children, you're going to get hurt. It's just that plain and simple. A lot of times we don't think about that. We don't think about the damage that we do to others by the words that we say or the things we should have said that we don't say or the deeds that we should have done and and, and we hurt other people and then just shrug it off like, well, they shouldn't be so sensitive. You always want to, you know, we always want to in some way excuse ourselves by pointing out some of their faults. And that doesn't fly with God, by the way. He's not impressed by that at all. We can talk about their faults all day long, but that doesn't relieve us of our responsibility. And the fact is, we just need to let God deal with the troublemakers. Just, that's God's business. And as I said, even if God was to give them a free pass, that doesn't matter to us, and that does not change our obligation. Now, look in the next two verses here, and we learn that we ought to respond with kindness. Now, remember, we're talking about responding to people that are difficult to deal with. Therefore, that's so very important. Therefore, because of all of the things that he just said, therefore, because of that, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him to drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So here we're to respond. Notice I said respond, not react. There's a big difference there. Too many times we react to what the other person does, and it's usually not a pretty picture when we do. We, you know, we respond or we react in kind. You, you take, a, take a, a ball and throw it to someone and, you know, they pick it up and they throw it back. Only you throw it a little bit harder, so they grab it and throw it back and throw you a fastball. And so after a while, the, you know, you, both of you are angry and the response should be whenever they out of anger would throw something at you, the response is take it and put it in your pocket or give it to a kid. Stop the, stop the foolishness right there. That's a response. Don't let them provoke you into a reaction that you're going to regret later. The famous preacher D.L. Moody said many years ago, he said, those who say they will forgive but can't forget Simply bury the hatchet, but leave the handle out. 
Well, 150 years later, Garth Brooks wrote a song. This is what it says. I don't think I've ever quoted from Garth Brooks before, probably never will again. But this is what he said. This is the lyrics to the song. We bury the hatchet but leave the handle sticking out. We're always digging up things we should forget about. When it comes to forgetting, baby, there ain't no doubt. <laughs> uh, we bury the hatchet, but we leave the handle sticking out. Wow, boy, does that ever describe the way that that people conduct themselves, you know. Yeah, I'll, I'll forgive you and we'll just forget all about it. But boy, I mean, they've got it ready. You know, if something ever happens that they don't like and automatically they go right back to that very thing from even years ago. Now, the thing about this is it's one thing for us to just, you know, not react and not retaliate against someone. In other words, evil for evil. That's one thing. And, you know, you can say, well, that's quite a feather in your cap if you're able to do that, you know, to refrain from retaliation. That's a great thing. But God says, I want more than that. Notice he says that we are to overcome evil with good. This is in verse 21. We are to overcome evil with good. Have you ever thought about the great power there is in kindness? The great power there is in kindness. You can have some issue going on and, and you can argue with the person. I mean, you can drag out all of the law books and you can quote all of the case evidence and everything else to prove that you are factually correct. But when it's all said and done... You won't accomplish anything. In other words, you can win the argument and lose a friend or destroy a relationship. It's the kindness that's demonstrated, the Christian kindness that really makes an impression on people. And so that's what he says. Have you ever, have you ever thought about kindness being a weapon? A lot of times we think whenever he says that we can't retaliate we think well my that leaves us without any any weapons in this warfare no we've got a weapon but the weapon is overcome the evil so it can be conquered he says so overcome the evil with what with good with good that's able to accomplish more than anything else that's why i've often talked about romans 5 8 and the thing that that turned the tide in my heart and in my mind, causing me to break down as it were and trust Christ as my Savior. And remember, as Paul said in Romans 2, 4, he said, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And it's God's goodness that changes us. doesn't say anything there about His power. God can turn you upside down, inside out, never which way but loose. God can do whatever He wants to do. But that's not the way God transforms us. He changes us by a demonstration of His goodness. That brings me to two more things I want to mention. Just briefly, but this one, number six, we could talk about for an hour and still not exhaust it all. But we need to remember how God treated us. 
Remember how God treated you. Think about his goodness toward you. Think about how long-suffering God was with you. I, I, I don't know of anyone that was saved the first time they ever attended church, or maybe I should say the first time they ever heard the gospel. Most of us were guilty of hearing the gospel and rejecting it, walking away, as it were, from the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, God could have said, and and some missionaries have made this statement, why should any man hear the gospel twice until the whole world has heard it once? Well, you know, that's a cute little saying, but I'll tell you what, you better you better thank God he didn't have that attitude when it came to you because most of us did not respond the first time we heard the gospel. And the goodness of God allowed us the privilege of hearing the Word of God over and over and over and the Spirit of God working on our heart, finally bringing us to that place to where we received Christ. And then even after you're saved, you know, if God just wanted to be, if God just wanted to really execute justice, every Christian here would be dead within 30 days after they're saved. Because we've all sinned against God in some way. We all sin against God. And yet, and yet, and yet He loves us unconditionally. Amen? And our sins are separated as far as the east is from the west. They're buried in the depth of the ocean. God said, I'll put them behind my back to remember them no more. Whenever you're dealing with difficult people, you need to stop and remember how God treated you. Then lastly, go back to verse 3. This is not a part of our original text, but it's a very important verse. Verse 3, Paul says, For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. You know what that's saying basically? that we ought to regard others better than ourselves. Philippians 2 and verse number 3 tells us exactly that, that we are to regard the other person better than ourselves. That's not an easy thing for most of us to do. Oh, we'd like to think we do that, but most of the time we don't because there is something Something, some old vestige of the old carnal nature that is still there that makes us want to believe that we're just a little bit better than so-and-so is. And the fact of the matter is, he says, we need to think of them as being better than us. Folks, look, if we, and, and this is true of every Christian here, If we will remember these things and put them into practice through learning to deal with difficult people, it can save somebody's marriage. Most marriages don't just dissolve overnight. It's usually a process that goes on and on and on until one party says, I'm not going to take it anymore, and and they leave. 
It, and, and let's face it, there are people that have to deal with some extremely difficult people in their marriage. And it can save a marriage if we learn how to deal with difficult people. It can preserve a friendship. It'll educate our children. It'll transform the workplace. It will empower your testimony. And it will strengthen a church. You know, we want to be a strong force for the cause of Christ. We've got to be peacemakers and learn to get along with one another. And the sad thing is, there's always some people that never seem to learn. They go through life moving from one crisis to another. And so rather than learning to deal with their difficulties, they're always in a state of turmoil. They're selfish, they're proud, they're opinionated, they're stubborn, they're impatient, they're disrespectful. And consequently, they just go through life leaving a string of broken relationships. How sad that is. You probably know people like that. They just can't seem to get along with anybody. They just don't know how to deal with people that are difficult and people that are different. Go back to the first two verses and I'm going to close. I beseech you. Paul says, I'm begging now. I beseech you, I'm begging you. Therefore, if you want to know what he's talking about, go back and read the chapter before. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your what? Your reasonable service. The demands imposed upon us by the Lord are not unreasonable. And he says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, our relationship with God affects everything else. And there's so many times, you know, we wonder why it is that even with our knowledge of the Bible, even having made New Year's resolutions, even looking back and seeing how we have been hurt by our past failures, and even with the observation of seeing how that bad behavior has damaged other people, with all of that knowledge, we turn right around and violate the very principles that we've been talking about tonight. And the reason for that is because of this. It's very simple and it's very serious. And that is how we behave one to another. How we treat one another is an, is a, is an expression, uh, an evidence, as it were, of our relationship with the Lord. In other words, we can't be right with God and wrong with everybody else. Because if my heart is right with God, I'm, I'm going to love you. I'm going to respect you. Even though we have differences. Even though you fail or whatever it is. It all hinges on that one thing. And that is my relationship to the Lord. When that goes awry, what happens? Well, everything else begins to crumble and fall. Our relationships fall apart our marriage, our family is damaged. The church is hindered. All as a result of not the failure of others, 
but my failure to maintain a proper relationship with my Heavenly Father. So as you start this new year, I hope you'll go home and, 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 and pray to God that He will help you, help me, help us all to learn how to deal with difficult people. Because I'll bet you before this week is over, there's going to be some difficult person cross your path. And you're going to need to remember what we've been talking about. Amen? Let's all stand. Father, how we thank you, Lord, for your love, your patience, your goodness toward us. How we thank you, Lord, for those that you have used in our life that have set a good example of what it means to put others before themselves. Those people that have been there to lend a helping hand. Those people that have been encouragers. The people that have been willing to forgive my faults and failures and so forth. And Lord, I just pray that we might reciprocate in like manner that we might demonstrate love toward them. And God help us to not fall into the snare of the devil and pay, repay evil for evil, but rather may we demonstrate the love of Christ that they can see Him living in and through us, and it might draw them to a closer relationship with Him. So bless us tonight, not because we deserve anything, but because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, and Tim's going to come, and we're going to sing a verse of invitation. And if God's speaking to your heart, whether it's about salvation or something that we've not even addressed tonight, you come. Page 544. Uh.